uh, really want to uh, take off from where we've been talking, really an understanding of uh, we are really wired, we are designed to hear from God, to commune with God, speak with God, hear back from him, uh, and, that, and that this really is God's design. So the idea that we don't hear from God or we can't hear from God or God is that foreign to us is not the way we were created. It's not the way we are designed. And most often people have to, have to practice and, and get comfortable with the reality that God does speak and he, he does um, uh, have a voice. It, it might sound like your own. Uh, it might be a thought that, that you just have to begin discerning which thoughts are God's thoughts, which God, thoughts are your thoughts. And we've been kind of working on what is it, what is it like to always be discerning where did this thought come from? It's a great practice for you and I because all of a sudden we become a little bit responsible for our thinking. And so when my thinking is something like this, why did this guy move over into the faster lane only to go the exact same speed of the other car and block all the rest of us in the planet? All right? So I can now take that thought and discern, is that me or is that God? Is God asking this rhetorical question or am I really finding a way to complain about how this guy clearly does not understand the concept of driving with more than one lane? So, you see, if we are constantly discerning what is the voice in me, what is the thought in me and where it's from, now we have some responsibility to deal with thoughts that really shouldn't be there. Thoughts that, whether they're from Satan, whether they're from me, whether they're from my hunger pains, whether they're from my prejudices, my biases, the truth is, there are thoughts that should not be here. And as I begin to take authority over those thoughts which were not authored by God, not by his person, his character, his presence, but these are foreign to the move of God in my life, to the journey of God within me. <clears throat> See, if every thought gets equal billing in me, I can think judgments about this person. I can think lustful thoughts about that person. I can think uh, greedy thoughts about that rich person. If, if all of these get equal playtime, and then God has a thought that I actually entertain as well. And so when I give all these thoughts, because they're my thoughts, they're legitimate because they're mine, is that really true? Because it is a thought within me. Does that make it a legitimate thought that has equal value with every other thought? Or do I have to take command and authority and I have to begin to discern the thoughts, the ideas, the values, the understandings that are going on because I'm living by this stuff. It's my constant companion. So it's in that place that we talk about walking life with God, praying without ceasing. This is what it looks like. Praying without ceasing doesn't look like you're on your knees like this, you have an IV keeping you alive, and you're doing this 24-7. Prayer is a reality that we are living out life in here with God. That our thoughts and our ideals 
our values, our understandings, our priorities are always before him. And they're always a part of the discussion that we're having with God on the inside. And it's in that place that all of a sudden I find I can walk like God. Why? Because God has always got a place of input into my life on how I'm thinking, how I'm reacting, how I'm responding. And all of a sudden, my leg being in a lot of pain is, is not a license to be, to be mean or ugly or short with, with my wife. All of a sudden, that's not, that's not acceptable anymore. And all of a sudden, God has me actually preferring someone else when I'm tired and in pain. That sounds like Jesus, doesn't it? Isn't that amazing how that works? All of a sudden, when I'm in pain, when I'm tired, when I don't, you know, on, you know, we go to a company party, uh, my leg is in pain, it's in pain sitting there, I'm having to sit in a funny way to try to control my pain. And my wife wants to dance. And my thought is, do you remember my leg is like falling off? <laughs> do you even care? These are the thoughts. But as I process those thoughts, I realize, I don't think God would think that way. I don't think he would come across accusatory, all about me. I don't think he would do that. And then all of a sudden, and then she says, I'm going to pray for you real quick so you'll be healed so we can dance. My next thought was, well, that's all about you. My healing is all about you. <laughs> she can hear all this, can't she? It's what I thought. And then I thought, I thought, is that thought from God? Even if it's true, is it what God would think? And I thought, God, God would want to honor where I can honor. God would want to move in that healing in a way that I'm moving with some courage. I'm, I'm moving with some valor. All of a sudden, these words that I'm not used to having to wrestle with are all of a sudden in my mind... And now I'm ready to dance with, with some pain even. And all of a sudden I'm in a place where this is now a part of my, my valor, a part of who I am as God's being. I'm no longer a victim. I'm someone that's stepping into a place of giving great um, value to someone. God did all that in a few seconds. All because I allowed him to sit in my thoughts with me. I allowed him to challenge my thoughts, my, how I felt, the motives that I was placing on others and on myself. I gave God a place in there. And he, and he took me to a place of honor, a place of valor. Because that's what he does. And now I'm proud of that evening. And I don't have to judge somebody else's motives for that evening. Why? Because God helped me with mine. 
You see, um, when God calls us into Jesus, we see this language in uh, 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9. This is in the NIV. But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. You were once not a people. Listen to that. You were once not a people. You were once just an individual. We, we, we really pride ourselves in that in the United States. We like our independence. I am an individual with individual rights and, and individual identity and individual purpose. And God really says the real place of being is to be a part of me, a part of my people, a part of my purpose. He sees that independence from him is being in darkness. But now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. So it says you are a chosen people. You are a chosen people. That means you're a chosen person. You're an individual who has been chosen. And and you need to understand that, that you have been chosen by God. And, and that place that you're chosen to is a royal priesthood. It's a royal representative. It's someone that carries great authority and great purpose in this life. And that makes us part of God's nation of holiness, that the, the, that the Jesus that's coming in the future is bringing the completeness of that holy nation. We are God's possession. And as that, we declare the praises of him who called us. We're chosen, we're called. And we declare the praises of the one who chose us, the one who called us. You see, we can't legitimately do that if it's not fully developed here. If I'm still the victim, it's hard to declare the praises of being God's people because they're not victims. No matter their circumstances, they're not victims. So to be chosen and to move into that identity of chosen, you have to surrender things like your identity as a victim, your identity as, as uh, you know, someone who is special because of your talents or your beauty or your skills, or a cast off because of your your lack of beauty, or maybe uh, the fact that you came up in an impoverished environment. You see, you are chosen. You were called. You were called out. John 15, 16, Jesus wants to make this very clear to you and I. This says, you did not choose me, but I chose you. I called you out of darkness. You didn't recognize the darkness and say, hey, Jesus, I called you. You were responding to me. I chose you and I appointed you. I appointed you. That is authority. That is position. I have appointed you. So often, I think we stop before we receive an appointment, before we recognize that 
God's people aren't just chosen and then, oh, we got another one. And we're like fish, you know, we're caught and we're put into the cooler until Jesus shows up. There's another one. And we put that in the cooler. But we immediately are given an appointment, a position that has power and authority in God's purpose, in God's plan. You see, it says that that we could bear the fruit, that appointment, that calling, that purpose that's built into your life is so that we would actually produce the things of the kingdom, the stuff that lasts. And he ties this to a profound statement in the scripture. He says, so that whatever you ask in my father's name, he will give you. Those are some powerfully misunderstood words in the scripture. But if you'll see, they come out of the appointment. They come out of this place of you're appointed and you're given this purpose, you're given this identity, and in that, that's why the Father is going to do what you ask. When you operate in that appointment, Danny was operating in that appointment today. Does Danny have pains? Probably. I'll bet Danny takes pills for things. I mean, legitimate pills. You know, that makes him kind of a wounded healer. That does not take away his appointment and the blessing that he can give to others. And if you realize that God is placing a call in people, He's placing a call in people that actually when we are operating in our appointment, we're really pushing into the very call that God has in people's lives. And it's in that place that God, we we can't take credit. When we say, you know, something to someone and, and they really, you know, they get it and God comes and it's powerful, we really don't get credit for that thing. We get credit for being obedient to our appointment. But God was already there working. We moved in and acted upon that thing God was doing. We connected on that thing. God chose you, and he gives you an appointment. Our appointments can be different, but our appointment that's common is that we we reflect the glory of God. We reflect we, we influence what God is doing in the lives of other people. You are chosen. We, um, go ahead. This is um, 1 Thessalonians 2, 12 and 13, and all these will be NIV, a translation unless I say otherwise. All right, so that you would walk in a manner worthy of the God who calls you, the one who chose you. The God who calls you into his own kingdom, into his own glory. He's calling you into his own identity. For this reason, we also constantly thank God that when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it, not as the word of men, but for what it really is, the word of God 
which also performs its work in you who believe. You see, when we approach someone through our appointment and we talk about the reality of God, his love, his purpose, his plan, uh, the, the fact that he wants to heal you, he wants to set you free, what we're really doing, that's really not our words. Those are God's words. That's what makes them powerful. They are God's words. And the author here is saying, you received it like it was God's word. There's so often, I don't think we do that for one another. And part of that is we're not evaluating our thoughts. We're not evaluating what we hear in the light of God. Even on Sunday morning, I am really suspicious sometimes. I might say something like, um, God chose you and you have this appointment. And you might sit there and go, you know, it doesn't feel like God chose me. He's never answered my prayer. Uh, he doesn't seem real to me. You see, you were not able to hear those words as the words of God. You heard those as my words. You heard that as Bill's opinion. That's what Bill thinks. But my experience is that is not true. Therefore, it's not true. That's Bill's word against my word. And, you know, that is a really a, a bad contest. Bill's word and your word. That's really a crummy lineup. The question is, what is God's word? Does it say he chose you? Does God declare he chose you? No matter what your life looks like, your circumstances, are you willing to accept the truth of God? That's what he says. He chose you. You see, what Paul is, is stating here is, wow, you received the word of God, not like it was coming from me, but you received it like it was coming from God. And because of that, it produced great fruit in their lives. And the Thessalonians, they became this, um, they received this authority from God himself. And that's what allows you to represent the word of God and the glory of God. It's when you embrace it as God's word. It's not what Bill said. It's not what the church said. Not even what the Bible said. It's what God said. God said this about you. He said this about me. He's committed to do this for me or for you. That makes us kind of a flagship of the kingdom of God. We rightly show the colors of God, the power of God. We represent the kingdom that is coming. The chosen do that. Our lives, as he has at voice, when we read the word of God and it says what we look like and what we don't look like, and we, I can read those scripture and I can say, wow, I don't look like that. But the word of God, the power of God is saying, I should look like that. And if, it's, if he calls me to look like that, then there's this part of me that understands the glory of God that I can look like that. I should. I can, and by God's power in my life, I will, I should, 
I can and I will. That's what the power of God, that's what the word of God can do for you and I. It can enlighten us with the truth of how I can and should be. In 1 Thessalonians 5, uh, it's uh, verse 16 and on. This gives you kind of a playbook. This is what your life looks like. I'm sure it does. Read it with me. Rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. In everything, give thanks. Is everybody there so far? Is that you? You got those parts? All right, this is just the first part, all right? Yeah, we're always rejoicing. We're always praying without ceasing. And everything, we give thanks. We've lost most Christians by this point. Like, that's after Jesus comes again. That's going to happen. Like, that isn't going to happen where I live. But that's what it's calling for. Give thanks for this is God's will for you. It is his word for you. It's his will for you. It's his purpose, his plan. And we say, you know, here's what I want you to do. And you go, that might be Billy Graham. That might be somebody, but you ain't talking about me. And God says, really? Am I confused? Did I mix you up with somebody else? Have I made a mistake in my paperwork? Let me look again. I thought this was for you. Or is this his word? And it's the part where we go, that's not really my experience. Um, I don't really even understand those words. Yeah, I don't understand how that's impossible. You can't pray without ceasing. You have to sleep sometime. Rejoice always. That wouldn't be true. You rejoice when it's all bad, then you're a liar. So he wants me to be a liar and he wants me to never sleep. You see, there we have eroded the word of God. We've challenged it. But this is, this is a gift to you and I. This is... This is the possibility that Christ brings for you. I can dance when my leg hurts, and I can like it. I can be spinning around on a dance floor, you know, kissing my wife, and I'm not thinking about pain. And God says, you're welcome. You see, that is you, Bill. When you let me play, that is you. And I have to say, you're right. When you're involved, that's me. It's God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Do not quench the spirit. When the spirit is urging you, when it's turning you, when it's transforming you, when it's challenging you, don't downgrade the spirit. Don't do the manipulation like, oh, he never wants me to sleep. You know, I have to lie and rejoice and give thanks when I'm really not thankful. I'm going to be a deceiver and a liar and an insomniac if I walk with God. See, that's quenching the Holy Spirit. It's downgrading the value of what would be an amazing life. Don't despise prophetic utterances. 
people that speak the word of God over you with encouragement and telling you God wants to use you in this way. God wants to say this to you. Let's, let's not throw water on that like, well, you know what? I always thought they were a little weird and I don't know. I don't know what that means. I don't think they know what that means. I saw him in an R-rated movie. I don't know if that's, I don't think he really hears from God. But examine everything carefully. Examine your thoughts carefully. Examine your actions carefully. Get used to doing that with God. Examine carefully. Hold fast to that which is good. Hang on to the things that look like they're from God. Abstain from every form of evil. And then there's this blessing that God offers. Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you entirely. Might purify you entirely. This is not just a cleanup job where you know those car washes where you go through, you put in the quarters, you go through and come out the other side and you go, well, it did all right, you know. Knock the big stuff off, I can go see mom. Entirely. And may your spirit and soul and body, may every ounce of you be preserved, complete, without blame at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Faithful is he who calls you. Faithful is he who chose you. That's what he's saying. The one who chose you is what's going to make all of this possible the one who chose you. <clears throat> the beauty of being chosen by God or he thinks it's the beauty, but it has a um, trickle-down effect. Uh, ones who, cho who are chosen and they really uh, understand that identity change, that they're called, that they... Um, have this appointment, they begin to really take on this role of seeing the world differently. I'm going to see other people in those who have also understood their call, their chosen, and encourage them on what that means for them. And those who have not responded and don't understand the call, that I make it clear to them that they're called they're chosen. We see this um, in the uh, book of John. This is chapter one, uh, and it's a little bit of a long passage, but we'll break it into some pieces. The next day, John uh, was there again with, his two, with two of the disciples. This is John the Baptist. And when he saw Jesus passing by, he said, look, the Lamb of God. All right, so here's this called one. His name was John the Baptist. And he looks over at Jesus and he sees him. He's got some disciples with him. These are his disciples. These are Johannian disciples. And he looks over there. Behold, the Lamb of God. Well, these guys know what that means. That means the sacrifice of God, the chosen one. They get it. When the two disciples heard him say this, they followed Jesus. 
That's pretty interesting, isn't it? It's like, wow, I make this statement and now I lose my entourage, you know. I lose my, my, my posse here. All of a sudden, they've changed. But John says, rightfully so. John says, that's the way it's supposed to work. Now, these guys change, all right? Behold, so John is the chosen one, and he speaks truth to these guys, and now they respond to the call. And now they're following Jesus. All right. So the two disciples heard this. They followed Jesus. Turning around, Jesus saw them following and asked, what do you want? They said, Rabbi, where are you staying? That's an interesting question, isn't it? Where are you staying? And he says, come, and you will see. And they went, and they saw where he was staying, and they spent that day with him. And it was about uh, four in the afternoon. Uh, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, was one of the two. So this is Andrew, and uh, he, he heard. He was one of the two that heard this and now followed Jesus and has now spent the day with Jesus so after following Jesus, after spending the day with Jesus, here's what John's assessment was. This is Andrew, uh, Simon Peter's brother, back up, uh, was one of the two who had heard John, had said this, and who had followed Jesus. Go ahead. The first thing Andrew did, this is the first thing he did after he's walked with Jesus for a day, he went and found his brother Simon. Tell him, we have found the Messiah, that is the Christ. And he brought him to Jesus. This is the first thing he did. He walked with Jesus. And then the first thing he did was go and tell others about the call. And he had enough influence that he brought him. Jesus looked at him and said, you are Simon, son of John. You will be called Cephas, which translates into Peter. And this is the, the apostle Peter that was brought by his brother, Andrew. I've told this story a couple of times. I just don't know who's heard it, so I'm going to tell it again. It is an amazing story. Uh, it was down in Mexico. We were down on the waterfront. This was years ago. Actually, my first trip to Mexico. My first trip sharing the gospel. Uh, there was a young man, I think his name was Miguel, and uh, we invited Miguel to join us that we were actually on our way, we were doing kind of a skit. We asked him to join us. He knew a little bit of English, I knew a little bit of Spanish, and uh, his statement was, I, I can't go because I don't want to, he had part of a six-pack of beer with him, I don't want to get rid of my beer. So I said, well, why don't you bring your beer with you? And he said, okay. So we're walking along, and he's got his beer. And I decided I would ask him, why is his beer so important to him? And so when I asked him, he said, because it helps me forget. This kid was, I don't know, 15 years old, something like that. So I asked Miguel, what are you trying to forget 
And he said, I've, my cousin is missing and I've looked everywhere and I don't know where to find her. I said, you must be very close with your cousin. He said, I am. I've looked everywhere. And then this thought came into my mind. This thought was, tell him that you know somebody that knows exactly where his cousin is right now. Now, I have to evaluate that thought. That's a risky statement, isn't it? But that is not a thought I would normally have. That's a thought that's risky. It's a thought that certainly brings Jesus into the game plan. So I went with it. I said, Miguel, I know somebody who knows where your cousin is right now. He perked up. He looked at me. Tell me who it is. Tell me who it is and where they are. I said, his name is Jesus. Jesus who? Where is he? I thought, wow, this is not going to work right. Because <clears throat> Jesus is a fairly common name. <laughs> Darn. I, thought, I felt a little bit in trouble at that moment. <clears throat> I said, Jesus, the Son of God, tell me where he is. I thought, am I doing okay on translating here? What's going on for me? So I told him it was the Son of God. He repeated, tell me where he is. I said, he's here. And he loves your cousin more than you do. And this peace came over him. I said, do you want to meet him? Yes, I want to meet him. If you will invite him into your heart, he will come into your pain. He will bring healing to you. And I was at the same time, I was praying for his nephew or his uh, cousin. Um, I couldn't tell. I felt like God was doing this. I could not tell where it was going. And uh, this peace just came over him. And he invited Jesus into his heart. Before he did, I said, now, here's the deal. Um, you know, he's really going to want to replace what you have the beard doing. You are using the beard to forget. You're using that to medicate. Jesus wants to take on that role, okay? So you, you can lay down the beard now, okay? And you can lay down the drugs, okay? And I was thinking, this guy is serious. I mean, I kept taking things away. And, and this guy that was with me said, hey, Bill, enough. He wants to receive Jesus. Let it go. You know, so I said, okay. So we, we uh, kind of shared with him how to accept Christ. And he accepts Christ right there. Now, I thought that was a great story. But it gets better because then immediately he turns to his friend who didn't know any English and he begins to share Jesus with him. And he had to turn to me and get some clarification on a few things. And then he would turn back to his, uh, 
his friend, I guess it was. And that afternoon, he led his friend to Christ. And, and we all walked together. And these guys were just happy and thrilled. And we prayed for his, his cousin. You see, immediately, we are now in a place of authority to offer and extend the benefits of Jesus, the life that he offers to people around us. Peter came to Christ because Andrew experienced something with Jesus, and he went and told his brother. There's two things that make people follow us. One is they see something different about us. And the other is we're giving a message that has some value. So often the church is fairly quiet on both. Do they see a life that is marked as something different in this world? Do they see a life that stands out? Do we appear chosen and called? Can the world see that about us? And are they hearing the reality of a message that extends to them as well? Hebrews 5, this is out of the message, verse 11 through 14. The author says, I have a lot more to say about this, but it's hard to get it across to you since you've picked up this bad habit of not listening. By this time, you ought to be teachers yourselves. Yet here I find you need someone to sit down with you and go over the basics of God again starting from square one. Baby's milk, when you should have been on solid food long ago. The imperfection of us once we become disciples, we have to keep growing as that. I have to keep listening on the inside. And I need to know that others are on a journey that are a part of my story. You see what it says is, you should be teaching others by now. You should be teaching others. Somebody. We should be teaching others. I find two challenges in that. One is, a lot of people around us don't want what you have.
There were people who did not want what Jesus had and they walked away. But here's the difference for disciples who want to grow. Are you pushing in to grow? Are you finding people who have something they can offer you? Or do you not have enough time? Do you not have enough money? Do you not have enough time to be a disciple? The challenge of this century will be, can the disciples of Jesus convince the world that there is enough time in your life and enough money for you to be a disciple? Or are there seasons where you just don't serve him? Do single moms with children, do they not get to play until their kids are grown? Somebody that's going to school, do they not get to play? Does life take priority over growing as a disciple of Jesus? Is it impossible for the single mom with three kids and two jobs, is it impossible for her to grow? I hear many say it is. I hear many people that as soon as they get out of the master's program, they will in some way find a way to be with God. I know that some people want their children to go to bed at seven or eight. I know that some people have lots of ideas about their time and their money, but here's what I'm convinced of. If you cannot find a way to have some time for God, some financial resource that goes to God, then either you haven't figured it out yet or again, God just blew it. And he needs to assign a bunch of people waivers. I don't, uh, as, a, as a pastor, I, I think there are probably not very many people um, that are looking for input in their life. Uh, certainly not discipleship stuff. But being a disciple will challenge how you live your life. And that will directly affect how, what comes out of your life in the way of fruit. If you would stand.